We are concluding chapter 13 in Tanya. And chapter 12 and chapter 13 is where we learned a lot about the Bainani. We got our definition of the Bainani. And we are going to conclude now on a final note. Chapter 14 already, Tanya, we see we are, we are, we are moving on. We're moving onward. Let us recap briefly what the Bainani is. And then we'll get into tonight's very, very interesting, fascinating topic. Very briefly, if I have to capture very briefly what a Bainani is, a Bainani is the person who, on the one hand, has absolute self-mastery. They never allow the animal soul, the temptations, the weaknesses, to ever manifest and become an active, conscious thing that we do, do or speak about or think about. Uh, in our life, but at the same time, they still have that animal soul. They do not succeed in getting rid of the animal soul. They never affect the animal soul. They never compromise the existence and the power of the animal soul. And in fact, the animal soul is only getting stronger as we learned with time, right? So we are destined to live 120 years on this earth, and we never win the war. The animal soul is there. Every single day is a struggle. And there's no smooth sailing. The Benini is destined to a life where they are moody, where they're in flux. The Tanya said that in the morning, you wake up, you go daven, right, David? We're just talking about davening. And getting yourself inspired is a very, very integral part of the the Benini's lifestyle, of his daily schedule. A Benini has to wake up and be inspired. If you're not inspired, I'm sorry, it's not going to work. But then what happens? That inspiration doesn't last. An hour later, the inspiration withers away. And an hour ago, he was all emotional and passionate and loving. He loved God. To the point that that love overwhelmed the animal soul. But now, an hour later, that love is gone. And you know what he's loving? He's loving uh, the temptations of the world. (laughs) So, Abainani is somebody who is always in flux. He's changing. He's moody. He's not smooth sailing. A tzaddik is very smooth. A tzaddik has a beautiful, consistent life. He loves God. He doesn't love anything else. That's his focus. His whole life is, is, is consistent, is smooth. A benini doesn't get that. And that brings us to the final point of this chapter, which is such a fascinating idea. The Yaltareb is here to answer the burning question of the benini. So we are all aspiring Bainanis. And we have just learned our destiny, our fate, our fate that we are destined to. To remain a Bainani our whole life, to live with the struggle, to live with this vacillation. Right? Is that the right word? Vacillating, changing, up and down. This is our life. And there's a burning question that the Alta Rebbe has to now address. Noah, how you doing? Baruch Hashem. Hi, Rabbi. Thanks. It's wonderful. Wonderful seeing you here. That is wonderful. Okay. Glad, glad that you're joining us. Okay. So the altar now has a burning question. And it's such a fascinating question. I, I want to I explore the question with you. Because the altar doesn't even make that big of a deal about the question. But I think it's a very big deal. You can learn so much just from the question, even before we get to the answer. The Bainani is deeply bothered. Now that the Bainani learns what he is, 
what life's going to look like as a Benini. The burning question is, if that's my life, is my life true? Is my life authentic? Is my relationship with God authentic if I need to force it into being, if I need to force it into existence every single day? Is that called a real relationship? Is that called a real is that called real spiritual living? If I need to compel it by force into existence every single day, is that called being spiritual? Is that called being a spiritual person? Or am I somewhat of a fraud? Is that truth? So on a basic level, let's say I tell myself, you know what, I want to be a sophisticated person. So I will say that I enjoy fine, dry wine. Right? I'll be a connoisseur. <laughs> Am I getting the, the word right? Be a connoisseur. Okay. But let's say I don't really like wine. So I force myself to drink wine. Okay. I go out to, so, I go out to wine, wine events, wine tastings, and I socialize with people because I want to consider myself part of the upper echelons of society that enjoy sipping wine. And then after a while, I just say, you know, what, what, why am I doing this? I don't even like wine. So I have to convince myself that I do like wine. I don't like wine. So on a very simplistic level, maybe that's what the Bainan is struggling with. I need to get myself, I need to force myself into a zone every morning that I love God. You know what then happens an hour later? I forget about that love. It disappears. Now I start loving and now I'm attracted to the very opposite stuff. My love of God is a distant memory. I have a lingering effect from it. But it's not something that's lasting. It's not something that's natural. Every day I need to force it into existence and it fades away right after. So how real is it? This is the Bainanese question. But, but it's a very deep question. I, I want to explore this with you. The, I really want to explore this with you. Let's back up for a moment. What is the definition of truth? In Hebrew, the word is emes, emet. What, what is truth? <laughs> what is truth? What do you say? If you have to define truth, what makes something true? What would make something not true? How do you define truth? What do you say? What would be the definition? Alex, go for it. Go, go for it. You got to unmute Alex, but but nothing political. <laughs> Certainty would be, in truth, if you take a triangle, and calculate all the angles of triangle inside angles, and you come to 180 degrees, and you paint five five thousand triangles, and you come to conclusion that all of them, no matter how you much you change angles, they're going to be still 180 degrees. That's truth. That's certainty. Oh. But a truth in whatever whatever other sense you come up, you got to ask what application are you looking to the truth? So you're saying if something is provable, like triangles, you 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 test the theory enough times, that yes, it something which is a certainty. It's a fact. Bingo. It's Bingo. That's it. Yeah, okay. Very good. Yeah, yeah, Joel, go ahead. Uh, uh, what God gave to us is the truth. So you're so you're giving me a religious argument. I just want to get a right. definition. Give me a work. What's what makes something truth, and when is something not truth? Uh, when something uh, truth is reality. Truth is reality. 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 So if we could prove that this is real, it's tangible. We could prove it right. in a lab. 
then it's real. Meaning if it exists, it's real. If it doesn't exist, it's not real. So if I tell you, if I tell you that it was raining today, so Alex is still in Florida, right? So you wouldn't know what it was just like in Michigan today. But you check. Did it rain in, in Michigan today? Okay, then it's true. If it didn't rain, which means it's not, it, it wasn't in existence, then it's a lie, then it's false. Right? Maybe, it, maybe it rained in Bloomfield Hills, but didn't rain, rain in Southfield. Uh, so that, that, there we go. So then, okay, so we could, we could see if maybe I'm still saying yeah. the truth. Any other definitions? What do you say? Any other definitions? So most people think that there's truth and there's there's a lie, which means truth. If like we want to talk about about phenomena, about things that are things that exist, the truth is is here. And a lie means. Okay, let's 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 not go there. Okay. Very good. So that's that's very simple, right? Truth, something something simply that exists. I think most people would agree with that. It's a very simple definition. Now let's talk about an emotion or an experience. If I say I love you, I tell somebody I love you. Is that true? Is that love true? Is it real? Yeah, if it's real, I feel it. If I feel inspired one day, is that inspiration real? What would you say? Why not? <laughs> I feel inspired. But once I, I'm not going to feel inspired tomorrow. Does that matter? Gail says no. Meaning, okay, right now you have it. Right now it's real. It's subjective. Truth can be subjective also. Oh, so Joel's saying, Joel's saying that on some level, at a certain point, you can say maybe maybe uh, truth is subjective. But we usually tend to think that truth is not that way. Truth is usually very objective. This is the truth. It's not, it's not an opinion. Truth is truth. Okay. Right. It's reality. But on the other hand, there is an idea of, like, you know, you have your truth, there's my truth. So truth is a very funny thing. It's a very funny thing. And, and you know, even in the world of philosophy, you could really quibble about there's different types of truths and different types of definitions for truth. But what does the Torah say? There's a, there's a Hebrew word, emes, truth. What makes something truth according to Judaism? Judaism is a very interesting definition for truth. The Torah doesn't, the Torah's definition for truth is just because it's not a lie doesn't mean it's truth. Just because it's not an illusion doesn't mean it's truth. <laughs> Usually we tend to think that as long as it's not a lie, as long as it's not an illusion, it's truth. It's truth. So a magic trick is not true. Why? Because it's an illusion. So it's, it's either or. Either it's a lie, either it's deceit, either it's an illusion, or it's truth. Comes along the Torah, the Torah says, no, no, no. Just because it's not a lie doesn't mean it's true. True is a very high level. There's a very high standard for truth. What is truth? Truth is actually, the definition for truth is embedded in the Hebrew word for truth, for emes. How, how do you spell true in Hebrew? Emes. Aleph, Aleph, Mem, Tav. 
three Hebrew letters. Aleph, Mem, Tav. Aleph is the first Hebrew letter in the alphabet. Mem is the exact middle letter in the alphabet. Tav is the final letter in the alphabet. So what is truth? Truth is something that remains true, remains in existence, doesn't lose its integrity, its, its applicability at any point of the continuum. This is true no matter the time, no matter the place, no matter the person, no matter the circumstance. That's truth according to Judaism. So Judaism says, you want to know what truth is? Truth is something that is not circumstantial. The circumstances doesn't dictate if it will be there. It is. It is truth. That is a Jewish definition. And Torah says like this, something that is, but will soon not be, is not called true, or truth, or emes. Even if it exists right now, it's not the truth. <laughs> Which is a very weird thing. Here's a cup. I could recycle this cup. I could destroy this cup. So according to the Jewish definition, this cup is not truth. But it exists. doesn't matter. Just because it exists for a certain point in history, for doesn't matter. It's not real truth. The definition of truth in Judaism, this is something that Judaism is, is, is adamant about. Truth is only something that is consistent, eternal. An actual truth, an eternal truth. I want to get to a moment why this is the case. But I want to give you an example that shows you the difference between this. What's true love? I truly love you. Someone tells their beloved, I love you. What is the litmus test for true love? Most people would say, how passionate is it? Do you love them a little bit or do you love them a lot? How strong do you feel the love? Somebody says, I love you a little bit. Okay. Somebody says, I love you. I, I, I'm just, my heart is exploding. That's how much I love you. I can't bear the thought of not being together with you. It's such a passionate love. Most people say, what's true love? How strong is it? How passionate is it? How overwhelming is it? You know what Judaism says? You're looking in one moment of time, you're looking at how strong it looks like right now, and you're saying, that's, that's strong love. <laughs> we all know there could be very passionate love, very, very passionate love. And what happens tomorrow? What happens in two weeks? That love could come and go. So Judaism says, no, 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 no. True love actually has nothing to do with intensity. True love has to do with consistency. Is this lasting? Is this lasting even changes in circumstance? Oh, that, that's real. How passionate or dispassionate. That could all be an illusion. That could all be circumstantial. Unfortunately, in today's society, we've, uh, we see this quite clearly what's true love some people will experience very overwhelming love intense love but it's not ms it's not a true love it's not truth so 
that is the Jew, that that's the Jewish definition of truth. Truth you can only say that something is truth if it is all pervading, all pervading, consistent. You can never find a time or a place or an experience or a circumstance where this truth doesn't remain the truth. An all pervading truth. That's the definition. If it's not this, it's considered an untruth, a lie, a deception. It's not true. Which means, we're not saying it doesn't exist. There is a place between a total lie and truth. This cup exists, but according to Torah, it's not real truth. This world that we live in, is this world true? Of course it's true. (laughs) We're living in this world. This is reality. You know what the Torah says about the world? The Torah in Kabbalah, the key word for our world is called Alma de Shikra, the world of lies. So one way to interpret that is that there's a, it's a world that is conducive for a lot of deception and lying and cheating. But it actually means the world itself is a lie. The world itself is a world of untruth. You know why? Because the world is not permanent. Nothing in this world is permanent. Or in other words, is your life real? Your physical life is not the MS, it's not truth. You know why? Because after 120 years, we all know we hit the dust. And you return to dust, right? We all we all decompose. So is our physical life truth? It's not. So this gives us a, a very deep understanding of truth and a, a, of, a, of this high, a very high bar, very high standard for a pursuit of truth. Right, today there's this idea, everyone's looking for truth. People, it's part of human nature, we want truth. So what are you looking for? Torah gives a very high standard. But we have this question, why does Torah have this ridiculously high standard? Truth has to be something that will never, ever, ever fade away. Why? Right now it's here. Right now it's working. Why would you call this not truth? So we have this question. So let me let me let me let me give you a uh, so I'll share this with you. I'll explain this more by sharing with you a teaching of the Mishnah. And this is really where we have the source for this Jewish understanding of truth. There's a law in the Mishnah, it's a tractate paya, regarding the laws of spiritual purity and impurity. These are laws we don't practice today. Jewish law says that we don't practice them if we don't have a holy temple standing. But God willing, we will return to the land of Israel with our righteous Mashiach, and we will enter into the Messianic era, and we will have a third holy temple in Jerusalem, and then we will renew and go back to this area of Jewish law, the laws of purity and impurity. And part of the laws of purifying somebody who has become impure is that there's a whole formula. There's, there's a way to, there's a mitzvah of how to make somebody pure once they're impure. Specifically, once they become impure from coming into contact with a, with a corpse, with a dead body, which all of us, of course, uh, have come in contact and have that, that, uh, that, that level of impurity. So the Torah says like this, the Mishnah says like this, 
one of the things that you need to purify somebody, part of the mixture is water. But it can't just be tap water. It needs to be living water, fresh water. So it can't be water that comes from, it can't be stagnant water. It can't be water that's just sitting in a lake. It needs to be living water flowing from the source. So a fresh stream of water or water from the ocean, you know, a, a natural source of water, not just water that's, uh, that, you know, that, that, that's just sitting around. It needs to come from, from a living space. But then the Mishnah tells us something very fascinating. Outside of Jerusalem, there's a stream of water, and it looked like fresh water. It looked like a fresh source of water, because it would stream. But once every seven years, the riverbed would dry up. Only once every seven years. But the other seven years, water is flowing. It looks like living waters. Says the Mishnah that water is disqualified. You're not allowed to use that water. It it is not water that fits the requirements for the mitzvah. And the Mishnah uses very interesting language. The Mishnah says these are waters. This is called mayim hamechazvin. They are deceitful waters. They are deceiving you. You think that this water is flowing. It's really not. It's a weird thing. Water's flowing here for seven years. Once every seven years it stops. And even when there's water flowing, you're not allowed to use it. Why not? Because it's not truth. If it was really living waters, it would never stop. The fact that there's even a break one moment means it's not real. But (laughs) why the ridiculous standard? This is the explanation. This is the depth of the idea. A true existence, a truth is something that does not come into being circumstantially. If this can only be here because it's being compelled by outside forces, then it's not really here. It's only here because something is forcing it to be here. But the moment that outside force stops, it's not here anymore. So that is the Jewish definition. Truth has to be something which is independent, which is actually real, not because the circumstances are allowing it to be real, but because it simply is. It is. Nothing is causing it to be here. So, Think about this stream outside of Jerusalem. It's flowing with water. But let me ask you a question. Does this crevice of earth actually have water? The answer is no. The proof is it dries up. So you know where this water is coming from? The water is coming from, I guess, you know, somewhere in the hills of Judea. Does the snow melt? So the water, so the snow, so the snow melts, the water streams down, and it ends up in this crevice. But this crevice doesn't own this water. It's circumstantial. The fact that it dries up shows you that this is not really a source of water. Don't use this water even when there's water there. In other words, the water is there. Is the water there? The water is there. But this river doesn't own this water. It's not real. 
It's not truth. Really, this is dry land. Real truth has to be something that is not defined and not changed based on circumstances. If not, it does not have the Jewish seal of truth. By the way, I don't want to get into this, but this is one of the reasons why one of the foundations of, of Jewish belief is that the Torah cannot change. The Torah is immutable, unamendable. Now people say, why are you so hooked up that you can't change the Torah? What's the big deal? Change the Torah. We all know the times are changing. We all know that circumstances change. Change the Torah. A 3,300-year-old Torah, you're not allowed to change it? Why not? People wonder this. You know, like, you think God's going to get that offended if we, if we take a vote and we decide that it's time to amend or change or appeal a certain, a certain law or a certain detail or a certain belief? And the answer is, it's not about changing something. It's fundamental. Is the Torah truth or is it not truth? Is it only true if the circumstances allow it to be true, but then it's not going to apply in other circumstances? Then it's not true. Then it's that. Then it's the deception. What do we say when we say the blessing of the Torah? When we go up to get an aliyah, Baruch Atah Hashem, Elokeinu Melech Olam, Asher Natan Lanu Torat Emes. Thank you, God, for giving us the Torah of truth if you change the Torah that means that the Torah is circumstantial in this circumstances Torah works in the other circumstances Torah doesn't work Ooh, that's not truth okay <laughs> so we're spending a lot of time talking over here about truth let's bring it down personal the Yalta Rebbe loved truth the Yalta Rebbe demanded truth what does it mean to be truthful yourself don't say a lie. Yeah, that's the elementary, that's baseline saying the truth. But here's what being truthful really is. God is truth. God is the ultimate truth. God is the ultimate thing that is uncircumstantial. Why is God? Why is he in existence? Simply because he is. We are not truth. You know why we're here? Because our parents created us. And you know why we can exist? <laughs> We, if we were left to our own devices, we, we, we would die. We are only able to be in existence because we have, we have air to breathe, we have food. But in a, in a second, all of our existence could unravel. So we are very circumstantial beings. We need the circumstances to allow us to be. God is, total, God is the ultimate truth. Elohim emes. Hashem Elohim emes. God is truth. And therefore, we should serve God with our truth. We should serve God truthfully, with integrity. Now, what does that mean to serve God truthfully? It means that our relationship with God should come from a place of truth. Now, what does it mean to serve God not from a place of truth? And what does it mean to serve God from a place of truth? What does it mean to be a spiritual person? What does it mean to live with your soul in a truthful way. And what does it mean to serve God in a non-truthful way? You know, the Yalta Rebbe, in, nine, in 1798, maybe 1798, yeah, 1798, the Yalta Rebbe was arrested 
by the by the czar by the uh, by the czarist government of Russia on false allegations, and then he was freed after a few weeks. But it was a, it was a very very serious it was a very serious deal. Uh, the false allegations, uh, you know, based on those allegations, he deserved the death penalty. So it was very very severe. When he came out of prison, he wrote a letter to all of the Hasidim. And it begins with the words, he quotes the words from our forefather Jacob, from Abraham, I'm humbled, I feel small from all of your kindness and from all your truth. That's what Abraham tells God. And he speaks about the idea how we need to be humbled in the face of God's truth. And we need to serve God truthfully. This is, this is the theme. It's printed later on in Tanya. The author of his great-grandson, his eventual successor, Rabbi Shmuel of Lubavitch, he said, my great-grandfather lost 50,000 followers because of that letter. It was too demanding. He demanded truth. That's hard. He demanded integrity. He didn't just demand a spiritual lifestyle. He demanded truth. So what does it mean to be truthful in the way we serve God? The ultimate idea is, is your relationship with God circumstantial? Or is your relationship with God real, coming from within? What's the difference? Here's the difference. What happens when, when, when you go to Israel, you go to the Kotel? What happens when you go to the Kotel? You get inspired. But we all know what happens the next day. <laughs> what happens the next day? What happens the next week? What happens two weeks later? Where is that inspiration now? It's gone. <laughs> so let's, let's use the Jewish definition of truth. Were you really inspired? Was your inspiration truthful? Was it MS? What do you say? It wasn't. You want to know why? You weren't inspired. Something happened to you. The inspiration was forced upon you. You didn't inspire yourself. That inspiration didn't come from within. An outside force forced it upon you. I'll give you a little example. When, when you go to a wedding, what happens when you go to a wedding? At a wedding, you dance. According to Judaism, it's a mitzvah. You don't just dance because, you know, that's just a cool thing to do at a wedding. You party. In Judaism, it's a mitzvah. To bring joy to the chasnah, to the kal, to the, to, the, to the groom and the bride, so you dance. Now, so what do we do at weddings to get people in the mood of dancing? You hire a band. You can't just tell people to walk into a room. Okay, start dancing. There's no music, just start dancing. Yeah, no one's going to dance. you got to get people in the mood. So the music got a good beat, got a good rhythm, got a good sound going. People, it, it moves people to want to dance. Now, if you would go over to somebody, somebody who's dancing away, and say, "Are you really happy? Are, are you really, are you really flowing with happiness that you just are are dancing for joy?" That person would probably say, "Actually, I'm not really that happy right now, but you know, I'm just there's a good environment, so I'm dancing." See, that's called a compelled emotion. You're not really happy. It's being forced upon you. 
So we need to have this atmosphere that could force you into being a mode to dance happily, to dance joyously. But if you would walk over to the father of the groom or the father of the bride or the mother of the groom or bride and say, are you really happy? She would say, I'm bursting with joy. If you would say, do you need music to dance right now? She would say, I don't need music. <laughs> I, I can dance for joy with nothing, with nobody, with no atmosphere. I don't, the joy is real. It's coming from within. I don't need bells and whistles. I don't need gimmicks to get me to dance. This is my simcha. So how do you serve God? What's your relationship with God? What's your relationship with Judaism? Are you riding the wave of inspirations? We're, we're forcing, it, it, we're, we, we are compelling things to happen to you. We are forcing inspirations and experiences upon you. That's one way to serve God. And you know what? It's easy. It works well. It works well. Ride the wave. Just go from inspiration to inspiration. Like thrill seekers. Try to get yourself as high as possible on Judaism and on inspiration and ride those waves. And you should know that's a lot easier. The Alter Rebbe says, no! That is no way to serve God. God is true. You need to serve God with your truth. Make it real. That's demanding. That's why he lost so many people. <laughs> the Alter said, I demand something real. In Yiddish we say, Chabad Mont Pnimius. Chabad demands it to be internalized. It has to go in. It has to be real. It has to come from your own heart and soul. It has to be lasting. So the optimist says, I don't care so much about the intensity of your relationship with God. Are you in love with God? I don't care how intense it is. But is it real? Your Judaism, is it real? The way you relate to God, is it real? Is it authentic? Is it coming from a deep place? Is it with integrity? That's very demanding. But here we get to the question. We finally could get to the question. That Bainani is burning with this question. Altereb, you tell me that I need to recreate an emotional experience every day by davening. And that emotional experience dies after an hour. I'm right back to fighting my battles inside with my animal soul. Davening is over. <laughs> the honeymoon's over. And he says, well, maybe my whole life is a lie. Maybe I don't have truth in my relationship with God. Because it keeps on fading away. It's not real. I'm forcing into existence an untenable reality. So the Bainity is very bothered by this. Maybe I'm, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm a good Jew. Maybe I'm serving God. Maybe I'm staying out of trouble. I look so beautiful. But there's lacking MS. There's no truth in my life. There's no truth in my Judaism. You understand the problem? This is a very deep problem. <laughs> Can you imagine somebody being bothered by this? You don't do anything wrong. You're a Bainini, for God's sake. You are beautiful, and you're, and, but you're still worried. But it's not MS. It's not truth. Most people would say, what do you mean it's not truth? <laughs> Who cares? It's working. The results are good. But the optimist says, no. We need to serve God with truth. God is truth. We need to meet God with our truth. So this is the Bainanese burning question. 
Is there a truth in my divine service? Is there a truth in my Judaism? Is there a truth in my relationship with God? Or am I just compelling into reality something which is not really there, which means that my whole Judaism is not a truth? It's like building an ice castle. If you build a beautiful ice castle out of blocks of ice, is there a castle here? <laughs> yeah, of course there's a castle here. In an hour, is there going to be a castle here? No, it's going to start. It's going to it's going to turn into water. <laughs> so if you put your your if you put your ice castle in the freezer, you could have your ice castle in the freezer for 120 years. So you got an ice castle. But the real truth is, this ice castle is being forced into existence. Really, it should be a, a pail of water, <laughs> and you're consistently make forcing it into existence. So according to the Jewish definition of truth, there's no real ice castle here. It's only circumstantially here. It's not here. The circumstances is making it be here. So, this is the question. Is the Bainini's lifestyle true? Is there truth? Is there emes in the Bainini's life? Dear friends, page 117. Let's read. We'll maybe go a few minutes over. But the introduction was the main point. <laughs> How are we doing? Any questions? Or we're we doing so far? This is, this is deep. We, 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 this, is, this is very deep stuff. Middle of page 117, part four is a Bainanese spirituality, authentic or illusion. So the altar says like this. Now, concerning the quality of the Bainanese love during prayer, of which we have spoken about, which comes through a strengthening of the divine soul over the animal soul. Let's talk about this love. Let's talk about this emotion. So the altar says like this. When compared with the level of tzaddikim, of the righteous, who serve God with absolute truth and authenticity, this type of love of the Bainani cannot be called true service at all. If you compare the emotional life of the Bainani to the emotional life of a tzaddik, a tzaddik is real, it's authentic, it's lasting, it's not circumstantial. The tzaddik doesn't need inspirations. He's real, it's there. The Bainini, I don't know, the author says, if you, if you compare it to a tzaddik, you, you, you can't call it true service. For after all, it dissipates and goes away after prayer. And if it doesn't last, then it cannot be called true. Why can't it be called true? As the verse states, the teaching from King Solomon in Proverbs, truthful speech lasts forever, but a false tongue lasts only for a moment. If something lasts only temporarily, it's false. Truth is defined by its ability to withstand change of circumstance. The Bainini is somebody that his emotions are changing. It doesn't have that lasting power. See, Altimus says, one second, seemingly we can't call the Bainini truth, which is, which, is a, which is a very big problem. So says the Altarab, nevertheless, this is, this is a big idea. Nevertheless, this is only when we contrast the love of a Bainini to that of a Tzaddik. We're on the top of page 118. But relative to the level of Bainanim and what they are capable of achieving, this love of the Bainini that later passes is called a complete and whole form of service which is absolute truth for them for each person according to his or her stage 
on the level of Bainanim. See, Alter is introducing here a very interesting concept. The Alter says truth exists on every level. There's a truth of a tzaddik, but then there's a truth of a Bainani. And the truth of a Bainani is real truth. Now, when you compare it to the truth of a tzaddik, uh, you can't call it truth. But on its own level, the truth of a Bainani, not compared to a tzaddik. The truth of a Bainani is real truth. So we need to understand what the author is saying over here. The author is saying there's two, on the one hand, truth is true on every level, but truth on a lower level compared to the truth of a higher level is not so true anymore. But on its level, it's truth. That's a very deep idea. The author is going to have to explain that to us. But this is what the author says. And the author announces very, very powerful words. It's the only time in Tanya that the author speaks directly in the first person. The author in general in Tanya speaks in third person. The Alter Rebbe never speaks, never quotes himself. The Alter Rebbe never says, I, me. The Alter Rebbe is teaching ideas in the third person. You know, the Alter Rebbe didn't even include his name on the cover page. The whole book is anonymous. The only time where the Alter Rebbe speaks about himself in the first person is right here. The Alter Rebbe says, let's read, and I also call their love that they experience during their prayers as legitimately on the level of truthful speech that lasts forever. I call you, I consider you true. I, the Bainanese, love and emotions die right after davening. How could it be truth? I say it's true. Why? Let's read. Why? Because their divine soul is always capable of returning and reawakening this love. Whenever she will intensify her efforts at the time of prayer every day, through the preparations that are appropriate for each soul according to its quality and level. Says the author, on the one hand, your, your love dies. On the other hand, the author says you could always recreate it. When you go to Israel, when you leave Israel, <laughs> you're stuck. You don't, have an, you, you don't have a Western wall. Let's you get inspired with Shanayim Kippur in the synagogue. But then Yom Kippur goes. <laughs> it's, it's over. Not coming back for another year. You're out of luck. The Alter says the Bainani could do this every single day. If you could do it every single day, that means you own it. That means it's real. That means it's not circumstantial. It's not being compelled upon you from the outside. It's coming from the inside. Very interesting idea. Obviously, you have to prepare. You have to get yourself in the right zone, put on the right preparations. But you could do this every day, and that's real. And let's read the ne- the next paragraph. Then we'll take questions. Since the Bainani is capable of bringing his potential love to actual expression at any time through proper preparation and prayer. Therefore, his love of God is considered true and constant. Okay, Noah, go ahead. Noah, you got you to unmute. There you go. Yeah, thanks, Robert. Yeah, that's a huge idea. I mean, especially with, with your uh, setup, with the whole idea of truth that's not contingent or you know it's not uh but at the same time you had said that uh i don't know so my i guess my my question over there is did he reach it you said he says he can do it every day he can he can always do it but is that because he he reached it once is there like a seal that was broken is it like getting back to the china do you see what i'm saying about this earlier in tanya yeah you have to meditate. You have to get yourself yeah. in the zone. It takes work. If you could yeah. get yourself inspired every single day 
through your own effort, the author says, even though it fades away afterwards, that's real. Yeah. Now, for a tzaddik, that would be uh, that would be child's play. <laughs> for a tzaddik, that wouldn't do. But for a bainani, this is your truth, and it works, and it's good. I consider you truth. You are serving God with truth. So the bainani who's concerned, maybe maybe I'm not bringing my truth to God's truth, to God who is true. Alter says, no, it's true. But dear friends, you know, we have a few minutes left. I want to conclude the chapter. The author now brings us into the Kabbalah of truth. Now, the Kabbalah of truth should be another whole hour. We didn't even begin to explore the Kabbalah of truth. We, we, we merely touched upon the need for truth. <laughs> but how does, how does truth work? So the author concludes the chapter with a very brief overview of what I call the Kabbalah of truth. And the reason why the author has to go into the Kabbalah of truth is because the author made a very funny statement. The author said, on the one hand, truth is absolute. <laughs> Either it's real or it's not real. Either it is actually in existence or it's circumstantial. But then the author said, but on every level there's truth. Yeah, compared to the tzaddik, you're not true. But on your level, this is truth. So what does that mean that truth is objective and also subjective based on the level at the same time? What does that mean? When we learn about truth from a Kabbalistic perspective, we're going to understand that. Truth has two qualities. Listen closely. Truth has two qualities. They seem contradictory, but actually they're not. But it seems like a paradox. On the one hand, truth is absolute. Truth is something that is detached from circumstances. So it's not like it could be true here, but it's not true there. Or it is true now, but it's not true later. It was true some time ago, not true now. No, no, no. Truth is absolute. It is. Simply is. Not circumstantial. But at the same time, says the Alter Rebbe, truth is all-pervading. Truth can be found everywhere on every level. So every level has the truth of that level even though there's a higher level truth. <laughs> so it's both at the same time. Let's read and we'll understand maybe a little bit. The Kabbalah of truth, says the Alter Rebbe, because the quality of truth is the quality of Jacob. We have three forefathers. Each one of our forefathers are not just our patriarchs, but they are the providers of the qualities of the Jewish people. Jacob personified truth. He gave all of us truth. It is called, truth is called, Jacob is called, the center rod of the tabernacle that runs from one end to the other. Okay. Let me describe to you a little bit. In the Torah, we were given the mitzvah to build for God a tabernacle. And the Jews in the desert built a tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle had a, had a sanctuary, had a hall. And it was, it was a little room. It wasn't that big. And when they went to Jerusalem, they built a large holy temple, which was a much larger and, and, and elaborate version of the tabernacle in the desert. It was much larger. In the desert, the tabernacle hall was not that large. It was a three-walled room. A bunch of beams. So it wasn't long walls. It was beams. 
how do you call them, a modular build, right? It was a modular tabernacle, a bunch of beams, and you put a bunch of beams next to each other, and then there were rods that would hold all the beams together to form one wall. So you have three walls. Each wall is made out of many beams, and you have three walls. Each wall was held up by three rods. A rod on the top, a rod on the bottom, and a rod in the middle. Now, basic physics, <laughs> basic engineering. Each wall would have separate rods. So there was one rod for this wall, one rod for this wall, one rod for the back wall. But then, the rod that would go in the middle, there was literally a hole drilled through the center of each, of each pillar. The rod that would go in the middle was only one rod. And God caused a miracle that this one rod, you would put it in on one end of the wall, it would go in, and when it would hit the wall, and it would, the wall would turn, the rod would miraculously turn. So you have one rod, not three rods, one rod that went through the entire structure, all three walls of the tabernacle from beginning to end. And that middle rod represents Jacob. The top rod represents Abraham. The bottom rod represents Isaac. The middle rod that would go from end to end, that would attach, that would hold together the whole structure, that was Jacob. Why? Because that's truth. Truth is consistent from end to end. From top to bottom, the truth is there. Let's read. I want to read this paragraph over again. Let's read the paragraph over again. Because the quality of truth is the quality of Jacob. It is called the center rod of the tabernacle that runs from one end to the other. Right? This is the verse from Exodus. It runs from one end to the other. Now, what does that represent? What is the significance of this? What is the symbolism of this? That the center rod that represents Jacob, that represents truth, is going from end to end. This is where you see the truth, the element of truth. Let's read. The hallmark of truth is its all-pervasiveness. That it runs from the highest levels and steps to the very lowest step. On each level and step, truth runs through the midpoint. The pivotal point of truth in that level. So the altar says there are so many different layers of spiritual reality. There's so many layers of re- we we live in the physical reality. There's spiritual realities. There's there's infinite levels of reality. Every single level has a center point, which is its truth, and you can access that truth. So truth can be found on every single level of existence. Every single level of personal Judaism. You know, none of us are on the same level in Judaism. None of us are on the same level in our relationship with God. Every, every Jew's relationship with God is different and personal. So we could start comparing ourselves. My, you know, I, I'm not serving God with truth. So that guy is, not me. Because I, you know, <laughs> I can't compare the way I serve God to the way he or she does. What the Altima says is no, truth is found on every level. And there's a center point, a very focal point, the pivotal point, the center point, on your level, that there's a truth there. And you could serve God from that truth. 
But then let's continue. But on the other hand, although there is a point of truth on every level, <laughs> the author says, okay, but it also comes back to bite you. Truth is an endless domain, and there is no limit to how high truth reaches. All the way up until the top, the very absolute truth. And the truth on all levels and steps below are as nothing relative to the truth on the levels and steps that are beyond them. <laughs> so there's truth on every level. But when you compare the truth of a lower level to the truth of a higher level, the truth of the lower level is like nothing. So they're both true at the same time. Every level has a truth, and it is truth. But, when, but relative to the higher level, it's not true. But on that level, it is true. <laughs> okay, the final parentheses. The chapter concludes with this. As is known to those who know the esoteric knowledge, to those who study Kabbalah, right? Not, not, not like me and you. Okay. So that which is considered the level of head and brains of the lower levels is actually beneath that which is considered the heels and feet of the higher levels. The top of a lower level is actually lower than the lowest level of the higher level. As the statement of our rabbis in the Talmud, the feet of the angelic beings are equal to all of them. The feet of the level of the angels is higher than all of earth and all the heavens. So, what the author is saying is that both are true at the same time. Every level of divine service, there's truth there. But compared to a higher level, yeah, maybe it's not so true. But they're both true at the same time. So says the Alter Rebbe, you can't be worried. Wherever you are, even if you're not on the high levels of serving God, you're not a tzaddik, there's a way that you could serve God with truth. You know, we say in the Shema prayer, where we give our daily affirmation, our daily proclamation of our relationship with God, with Hashem. We say, Hashem You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart with all your soul and with all your might might is a bad translation it, means, it really means with all of your infinity with whatever you have and beyond but it doesn't say serve God with all of the heart with all of the soul what does it say? serve God with all of your heart <laughs> the way you serve God with all of your heart is not the same way I can serve God with all my heart it's very personal. There's a personal truth for your level. The Altimus says, and don't get intimidated that from the perspective of a tzaddik's level, your truth is nothing. No, no, no. Serve God with your heart on your level. So both are true at the same time. Serve God with your truth on your level. You also have to know that there's higher levels, <laughs> which would make your level of truth a little bit like nothing. But that's okay. And with that, we conclude, dear friends, very interesting conclusion to the discussion of Benini, the element of truth, of authenticity, that the Atarebbe wants that Benini to know that your relationship with God, your holy spiritual life, is not a fraud. <laughs> it is truth. And dear friends, with that, we conclude. We conclude chapter 13. Next week, we're on to chapter 14. And Tanya moves, keeps on moving onward. And uh, I want to wish you all a wonderful evening. We'll see you all next week. 
that was that was a very deep subject tonight. Very, yeah. You did a wonderful job. Really wonderful. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thank you. Okay. Good night.